has paid the debt for us and has opened a way that we might come in and be heard, know that our prayers are heard, and also come in with no fear, knowing that we are loved. Lord, may we honor you with the fear that you deserve in the sense that you are God, but may we come to you with the adoration and love that you deserve, with the faith that you deserve, because you are love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. We're going to jump right in here as we continue on uh, looking at really the life of Abraham. Abraham is living in this time between the promise that God has given him and the fulfillment of the promise. That's a tough time to live in, isn't it? We live in that time, don't we? We live in the time between God giving a promise and the promise being fulfilled. We're in that time right now where we know that Jesus is returning, yet he hasn't come back. We know that he's going to come and make all things right. Justice is going to flow down. It's just not happening right now. And in that meantime, that's what it looks like to live by faith, living between the promise given and the promise fulfilled. And Abraham is in the midst of that. It's now been 25 years or so since God has given him the promise of uh, generations, a a people that would come from him, of a land that would be given to his descendants that his descendants would have forever. And, And 25 years is a pretty long time to wait for something that's promised to you. And on top of that, he's... He's had God come to him now and say, in a year you're going to have a child. So I want you to just think about that. He has an overarching promise of a, a people and a land that would come from him. He's been given a specific promise of a son who would come from Sarah, his wife, and within a year she'll be pregnant. Within a year she'll have the son. And, and he has all of this. And then on top of that, what God does is he shows him, and let me show you what my mercy and my justice looks like. And he gives him... a a valley full of destruction in order to show him what his character is, that he is a God who will not stand for sin. He is a God who will be feared as the God who rules all things. He is a holy God. He will not allow sin to continue to reign. He's a God who will keep his promises, and he is a God who will execute justice and judgment against sin. You you put all of that together, chapter 20 becomes a shocker in the life of Abraham. Even though he's done exactly the same thing when he and Sarah went into Egypt, where he gave Sarah over to Pharaoh, and he's going to do the same thing with Abimelech, there's so much more context to Abraham's life now that you would think maybe he's learned his lesson. I'm just going to ask you, how many times do you think God would look at us and go, haven't you learned your lesson? I mean, think about your kids. How many times have you looked at your kids just and just wanted to say, haven't you learned your lesson yet? Anybody ever said that in your mind or even to your kids? Anybody? Now, all, the, all of you that are doing this, I know you're lying. We'll talk about that later. It's a whole other issue we can deal with from the Bible. But, um, no, the... the The fact of the matter is, we all look at the people around us, and even the people closest to us, and we go, come on, seriously, you're going to pick up on this, and you've got to learn your lesson at some point. Abraham had a meal with God. Surely, faith is going to override stupidity in this moment. Surely, faith is going to override his desire to preserve his life, 
surely he's going to be able to demonstrate love to his wife. And let me just make sure we understand this. We're talking years later now, and the same thing happens, the same trick works. Sarah was hot. That's just all there is. I mean, she's old. And still, people are like, I'll take her as my wife. That's crazy. Think about that. The whole ruse works again. Abimelech's like, yep, that sounds like a good plan. There was something about Sarah that we just kind of leave her out of the story way too often of this. But there was something special about Sarah. There was something that men gravitated towards and others could follow. She truly becomes the queen of a people. Even though she has an idiot husband. So ladies, I just want to give you hope today. Okay? But gentlemen, I want to call us to what it looks like to actually live with the love that comes from the Father for our wives. And that's a little aside, but let's not forget the Scripture tells us what our roles are in marriage. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present her holy and blameless. And Abraham does the exact opposite. And I just want you to see that again. And I want you to look. What do you do when those old sins come back in and creep back up? What does God do in response to that? And how gracious is he? So chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, says this. From there, so from the the mountaintop view of this destruction, right, they traveled. They journeyed. Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now you'll remember the ruse, right? The ruse is, If you're my wife, they'll kill me to take you. So tell him you're my sister. And we find out that this is something he asked her to do from the beginning. As soon as they left on this journey with God, I want you to do that. Every time we come to a new nation, I want you to tell him you're my sister. But look at God's reaction. God comes to Abimelech, a pagan king evidently, and says, You have taken one who has a husband. She is a man's wife. Verse 4, Now Abimelech had not approached her, so God had preserved Sarah. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you. And you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see what, that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Just just catch the irony in that statement. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter, and he begins to say, I mean, I didn't really lie to you. 
Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants. Same thing that happened in Egypt. Gives them a whole bunch of stuff to get out of there and gave, and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So make sure you get the story. They're coming into a new area. Gerar, here's Abimelech, pagan king, and the ruse is on. Uh, tell him you're my sister. Tell him I'm your brother, and then they won't kill me. In fact, they'll treat me really well. So will you do me this great kindness and make sure that they know? So Abimelech takes Sarah into his harem, but God protects Sarah. God keeps Abimelech's hand from touching Sarah from sinning against God. But God comes in order to protect Sarah and to keep Abraham and Sarah on the path towards God's plan, not their own plan, to preserve them, not to have them preserve themselves. God comes to Abimelech in a dream and says, you're going to die. He also shuts up the wombs of all of the women in Abimelech's household. And he says, you need to go to Abraham so that he can pray for you. Now think about this. Abraham's the one who's doing this. Abraham's the one who's wrong. And God tells Abimelech, go to Abraham. He's a prophet. Now you can imagine Abimelech's going, that's a prophet? All right? Go to to Abraham. He's going to pray for you so that you'll be saved. Abimelech cries out for mercy and says, I haven't done anything wrong. It's all his fault. And God, God says, I know. And now you need to go to him and return his wife. So Abimelech, in a great show of integrity, goes to Abraham and says, Why would you do this to me? And I love it. The the thing that you have done is something that should not be done to me. That's a really good way of putting wrongdoing, isn't it? The thing that you have done is something you should not have done to me. Something that should not have been done. And he gives him a thousand shekels of silver, which was an exorbitant amount of money. A dowry um, times a hundred. I mean, an exorbitant amount of money. To, and he says he did that in order to demonstrate, to vindicate that he had not touched Sarah and that Sarah was pure, that Sarah was clean. What grace from this king, right? God was working in this situation, and, and he even gave a whole bunch of stuff to Abraham. And, uh, and then he opens up his land to Abraham. And we'll see later on how that, how, how that was dealt with. But he opens up his land and he says, you can dwell wherever you want. Remember, in the last few chapters, we've seen a couple of instances where Abraham makes the mistake of trying to do God's job for for God. Sarah and Abraham both make the same mistake. Sarah goes, here's Hagar. We can do God's job for him. right? And, and Abraham is constantly trying to find the expedient way through things as opposed to the trusting God way through things. But we've just come out of this story of Lot. And Abraham and Lot have been put up side by side to show, here's what faith looks like, here's what Lot looks like. (laughs) right? Here's what it should look like, here's what it shouldn't look like. And now Abraham is falling into his old pattern of sins. And I just want to encourage you today that God is a God who disciplines his people and will not allow us to remain in our sin. 
We often don't think of God's love as a disciplining love, but the Bible makes it clear that God's love is a disciplining love. As parents, there's no way that we can actually love our children unless we're disciplining them. Unless we, we see behavior that is, that is dangerous, that will kill them, that will hurt them, that will harm others, and we discipline them away from that behavior. But not only that, disciplining to change hearts. That they know that they can trust us, so they know that they can come to us, so they know that even in their sin, they can come to us and they will be loved. What kind of love are we demonstrating? The type of love that would discipline for godliness or the type of love that would allow someone to stay in their sin? You see, what's going to happen in just a couple of chapters is Abraham's going to really need to trust God. God has given a promise. You're going to have a son. And in just a couple of chapters, God's going to ask Abraham to do the unthinkable with his son. He's going to need faith. He's going to need to be able to trust God. And so God puts him back into a situation where that old sin creeps up. That old distrust or mistrust of God creeps up. Where that old, let's do the expedient thing, creeps up. Right? And it's reared its ugly head. Abraham needs to demonstrate faith here because he's going to need it. So God gives opportunity for faith. This is a better way of putting it, maybe. God chastises, disciplines those whom he loves. Oftentimes he chastises us and disciplines us by putting us into situations where we're going to have to trust him because we failed in the past to trust him in those situations. And those moments... Are moments not of God saying, I got you again. No, those are moments of God saying, I love you enough to weed this out of you. You need to change, and I'm going to break you of this lack of faith. But what we see is Abraham, who needed faith, who had an opportunity for faith again, instead falls back into fear. It's a fear born out of insecurity. Hey, tell them you're my sister so they won't kill me. I can make sure we're safe. Fear that would promote his own self-preservation. Fear that would lead to sinful self-reliance. He's not trusting God. There's a, there's a fascinating moment here where Abimelech says, Why did you do this? Like, what did you see that would make you do this? And what does Abraham say? He says, I, I thought there was no fear of God in this place. Oh, the irony The guy who stood on the hillside and watched Sodom and Gomorrah burn goes to Abimelech and says, I thought there was no fear of God in this place. While he's the one who doesn't fear God. Isn't it so amazing how God exposes that in our hearts? Where he exposes our lack of fear and faith by showing other people and us looking at other people goes, well, I'm just glad I'm not like them. And he goes, do you not see your sin? You see, Abraham's fault here was he was comparing himself to Abimelech and the people of the, of the land when instead he should have been reminding himself that he was called out from that to live differently, to live separate. So instead of faith, he led to fear and he gave in to the fear That fear would even lead to loveless manipulation. Hey, tell him you're my sister. You can go into his harem. When fear grips our heart instead of faith, we will damage the people around us just to preserve ourselves. We will harm the people around us just to preserve 
ourselves. But it also took away his opportunity for witness. Look at the situation. Look, Abimelech has God come to him in a dream and say, you're going to die because of this. He begs God's mercy. He says, okay, go to Abraham, the prophet. And in that moment, Abraham had gone to every other place except in Egypt. But every other place that he had gone, he had set up altars. He had worshipped God. He had told the people of the land about God. He was honoring the name of the Lord in every other place. But when he came to Gerar, when he came to this land, what did he do? He didn't honor the Lord. And so he's brought before the king. And when he's brought before the king, what happens? He still doesn't give witness to the Lord. In fact, he says some things in here that are really telling about his fear. And I just want you to look at this. Look at verse... 10. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me, and I want you to stop for just a second there. The actual language there of this verse that when God caused us, verse 13 what will actually come clear if you look in the original languages is he's actually saying more like the gods. More like fate. More like chance. And he even uses the word wander. Did God call him to wander? God said, go to the land I will show you. That's not wandering, is it? So we like to say that the people of Egypt, or people of Israel, wandered after they left Egypt. That they wandered for 40 years. They didn't wander. No, God just kept them in the desert for 40 years. He lost them out there, right? They didn't wander. They knew where the promised land was. They'd already been. They were right there. They had already sent spies in. They had no doubt as to where the promised land was. God led them. And here is Abraham saying, I wandered. He was giving, he was giving a witness to Abimelech and the way he witnessed was not God has called me out and he's called me to himself and he's called me to be his child he's called me and said I'm going to I'm going to make a great nation out of you he doesn't do any of that he says you know God just called me to wander and I've just been wandering my life he he actually says that fate more than anything has caused him to be there ultimately this fear instead of faith led him away from obedience led him away from trusting God enough to obey him So that instead of staying in the land that was promised to him, he's now on the outskirts of the land. I'm just going to tell you, anytime you go on the outskirts of God's promise, you're in a dangerous place. Anytime you begin to wander off from God's promises, you're in a dangerous place. Anytime you go and try to find your own self-preserving way, you're going to be in a dangerous, destructive place. And I just want to ask us, what fears in our lives lead us away from obedience and into a life that ends up harming the people around us? Leaves us void of godly influence among those we love and even among the world. What what causes us to lead lives that we know clearly what God's called us to do and who God's called us to be, but we do something different out of fear? Maybe it's just we want to keep the job, we want to keep, we want to preserve face, we want to save face in the world. I don't know what it may be, but what is it in our lives that leads us away from this obedience? I believe what truly leads us away from this obedience is this question is God good not only can God keep us safe because it seems like Abraham struggling with that but is God good 
Does he have our good in mind? Abraham had already made it look like he was wandering, not being led. Made it look like he was bound by fate, not by God's providence. In the middle of all of this danger and uncertainty, he was distrusting God's goodness. Whenever we're made to wait on the Lord, we're either going to have faith or we're going to feel like God's just not being good enough to us right now. We're either going to have faith that God's going to keep His promises and no matter how long it takes, God's promises are worth waiting for. Or we're going to say, you know what? I'd rather have it now. I'd rather have what I can get now. And oftentimes when we grab what we can get now, we have to let go of the promises of the future. Now Abraham was a man who seemed in this moment to want something now even though he had this great promise of the future. And God, by his grace, actually preserved Abraham and Sarah so that he would keep his promise. You can just begin to think of it this way. Abraham began to speak more like a pagan than a believer. He began to act more like a pagan than a believer. His fear had overridden his faith in this moment so that now his witness is absolutely destroyed among the people of Gerar and around Abimelech. And he actually begins to talk less like somebody who has had a meal with God and more like someone who has no fear of God. See, it's it's a really slippery slope and it's a quick slide when we step out of faith into fear. And we move from not only being people who begin to judge other people from what they do, but we slide down and we become the people who are being judged. And I want to warn us today. There's a warning in this text, just like there was a warning in the last week's text. To be people of faith, not people of fear. Often when we doubt or forget God's goodness towards us, we either kind of cheat or we try harder. When we're going, okay, God, you made a promise, and I'm waiting for the promise, we either cheat to try to grab it on our own, or we just try harder in order to try to get it earlier. We try harder so that God will bless us. And there's danger on both sides. There's danger on both sides. We either cheat the process and and just grab for what we can get now, but really isn't what God wants, and Begin to get something lesser because God isn't good enough to give us what he promised. He's not doing it in our timeline, which makes him not good. I mean, you remember when you were kids, right? This is the toughest part of the year, isn't it? Because you made a request. And the assumption is because, you know, you're loved and you've been good, right? that you're going to get what you wanted and it's going to be under the tree or in the stocking or something, right? Because what? Because you're loved and because you've been good. Ooh, those two things really don't mix real well, do they? Because what happens when you've been bad? Are you loved? What happens when you get to the tree and you get into the stocking and what you asked for isn't there? See, my parents were very much the people who at Christmas time gave me the things I needed, not necessarily the things I wanted. As, a, as an adult, that was fantastic. We've actually made that into a tradition now with my family. We, my brothers and sisters, we actually set a limit and we do stockings and we actually, um, we actually uh, all draw names. There's six of us and we draw names and we give stockings. And 
I think some of it's kind of silly, but you know, the fact of the matter is what we do is we, we do stocking stuffers. And now my stocking stuffer list has become less things that I want and more like, I need deodorant. You know, it's like, like stamps. My brother and I, every Christmas, will go into our stocking. We know where it's so if I get my brother's name, Ryan, if you're listening, if I get your name, you're getting stamps. Because it's one of those things that we get really excited about. We like go through it like, yeah, look at stamps. Because it's something I'm going to need. Right? It's like, I need, so it's like chapstick. And, and so we've even started making our wish lists on Amazon for one another out of the, the everyday items that we need. So it's like I have chapstick or something like that on my Amazon wish list. Right? And I'm hoping it's in my, you know, I mean, that's like, my parents were great. When I was off at college, it'd be like two rolls of quarters. That's great. I was like, those are my favorite presents to open. That was the year my mom bought me shoes, and I never wore shoes at that point. That was her hint to me. She, she actually didn't even buy me shoes. She, bought, she gave me a gift card to go buy shoes. So I don't even know what happened to that gift card. wish I had it today. But, you know, um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that oftentimes what we get from the people who actually love us is what we need, not what we want. But we should be mature enough now as believers in this in-between phase of the promise given and the promise being actually accomplished for us and us experiencing the, uh, the promise to, to know that God's going to give us what we need and that's going to be really what we're going to end up wanting. And I just ask you, are, are you willing to wait for it? Are we going to be people who are just going to cheat a little bit, grab for what God isn't quite good enough to give us right now? We don't trust Him enough to be good enough that waiting is best for us. See, when God says wait, it's not because He can't give it to us. It's not because He doesn't love us enough to give it to us. It's that He loves us, he loves us enough not to give it to us right now. Because what's best for us is to trust Him, to grow in our faith. The other way we do it when we forget His goodness toward us, we try harder. We think we can earn what God gives and what God only gives by grace. You see, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights and every single gift is good and every single gift is a gift of grace. It's not something you and I have earned. It's not something you and I deserve. But oftentimes, if we're not getting what we want, not getting what we think we should have, not even giving, getting what God has promised because He's making us wait. We go, well, if I do X, Y, Z, one, two, three, if I'll do these things, then God will have to bless me. And we turn God less into God and more into a genie or a vending machine, right? Right? I like to think that oftentimes we think God is our personal vending machine where if we'll just give a little bit more and we'll press the right buttons and we'll pray the right prayers and we'll do the right things, then he's going to have to give us what we want. And when he doesn't, what we tend to do is we tend to either walk away in disgust and go tell somebody, it's broken. That vending machine's broken. Or we just start kicking the vending machine, right? Shaking the vending machine, trying to get what we want. And we either go, I'm not going to trust God to go to him anymore because he's not giving me what I want when I want it. Even though I'm doing all the right things, I'm doing the things, I'm trying really hard, he's not giving me what I want when I want it. So we just distrust him completely. Or we treat him as if he's not God. He either can't or he won't. 
Let's not fall into that trap. He is good. Our cure for not trusting God to be good is is nothing more than this. It's not try harder. It's not cheat the process. It's not grab for what we can get. Let's go back to the gospel. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8 asks. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If he did that, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, every gift from God is, a, is an act of grace. Every act of love from God is an act of grace. And here in this story, what we see very plainly is that God demonstrates amazing, gracious love towards Abraham and Sarah. Just go back through the story. Just go back through the story and see all the acts of God's amazing, gracious love because neither one of them deserved this love. We, we can't make Sarah completely innocent in this. She's going along with the plan, right? She's not trusting God either. Okay, so don't make her completely innocent in this. But both of them were demonstrated great grace and mercy. And all of it was because they were called out as God's beloved people. He preserves Sarah from intentional and unintentional sin. He, he preserves her. He, nothing, nothing kept Abimelech's hand from touching Sarah other than God. God himself says, I kept you from sinning. That's the preservation of God. Oh, how good God is to keep us from sinning even though we so long to preserve ourselves. He, he demonstrated His gracious love towards Abraham and Sarah by revealing the truth about who feared God. You go back to the part in the story there in, in verse 10. Uh, what, why? What, would, what made you do this? And Abraham, I thought there was no fear of God in this place. But God was gracious in this moment to discipline Abraham. To discipline Abraham to show, it's not Abimelech who has no fear of me, it's you who have no fear of me. Maybe Abraham had fallen into the trap of sitting up on that hillside and watching Sodom and Gomorrah go to desolation. And maybe just for a moment he thought, yeah, better than them than me. Obviously I must be a little bit better than them because I didn't get their fate. And he comes in to Gerar and he says, there's no fear of God in this place. God could strike them down in a second too. And he's forgetting that he's the one who knows God. He's the one who intimately knows God and should be fearing the Lord. So oftentimes God's love is to reveal the truth about who actually fears God, to reveal where we don't fear God, where we don't honor God as God. He exposes Abraham's sin publicly. He has to come before the king in an audience, and there his sin, his lies, his deception, his lack of faith is publicly dealt with. This is God's love. This is God's disciplining love that he doesn't just deal with us sometimes in secret, but he deals with us publicly. How many times have you fallen into the same old sin, 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 but you're never caught in that sin? And it's not until you're caught and it becomes public. Other people begin to know about it, that your heart is ripped in two over that sin. See, Abraham was going to need faith. 
He's going to need faith in the next couple of years. Because God was going to ask him to do something unthinkable. So God was going to rip Abraham's heart apart to make him into a man who would trust him by exposing his sin. And then he restores. He doesn't just restore Sarah to Abraham and Abraham to Sarah. He restores Abimelech and his household. You want to bet that if there was no fear of the Lord among the people of Gerar that there is now? And there's a restoration that happens. And look at the end of the chapter and look at how he restores him. To Sarah, Abimelech said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Not only is it a sign of Sarah's innocence, but I want you to make sure you understand it. It's a sign of Abimelech's innocence in all of this as well. Then Abraham prayed to God. Ah, remember what God had told Abimelech? Hey, you need to call Abraham. You need to get him here so that he will pray for you because he's a prophet. And here is what happened. In the same way, Abraham's prayer for the city of Sodom was answered in the fact that Lot was taken out of the city, right? Now Abraham is praying for Abimelech. And God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. See, God preserves us by his love. He reveals the truth in our own hearts about whether we fear him or not and how we should have faith in him. He exposes our sins so that we'll be changed, so that we'll trust him and find forgiveness in him. And then he begins to restore. He restores his people and restores those around us by the witness of his grace and his love to us. And then finally, I don't want you to miss this. He reminds Abraham and Sarah that he can keep his promises. Oh, how gracious of God to demonstrate in the middle of Abraham being unfaithful, God demonstrates his ability to be faithful to his promises. Look at what he does. He restores the wombs of all the women in Abimelech's house because he had closed off the wombs on account of Sarah. If you're Abraham and Sarah and you've been given a promise to your barren wife that she will bear a son in her old age and within the next year you're going to have this child and you're not trusting God, you're having a hard time seeing it, you're having a hard time believing that God can do that or that He will do that, what better way for God to demonstrate His faithfulness and His ability and His love and His goodness to them than to say, hey, not just you, but all of Abimelech's household. I can open up the wombs of everyone in Abimelech's household. I can open yours. God is so gracious to us, reminding us that he is able to keep his promises. Folks, don't miss this. Everything written here in Scripture is not just to tell us a story, but it's meant to change us and transform us. It's meant to reprove us. It's meant to make us more like Christ. It's meant to drive us to faith. Everything from the people of God in the Old Testament is meant to drive us more and more into trusting God to be like them or not like them, to learn from them, to grow. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, do we trust God and His goodness to demonstrate the same type of grace to us? God's love is not demonstrated to us in our goodness. Let me say that again. God's love is not demonstrated to us in our goodness. 
God's love has been demonstrated to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were His enemies, He made us into His children. This is what God has done. He hasn't waited for us to be good, to try harder, to figure it out, to get a plan together. No, He came with the plan. And He is accomplishing His purposes so Understand this, God is even able to use your sin for His purposes. I'm thankful that in my life this is what God does. Every time I fall into sin, every time I knowingly sin, every time I unknowingly sin, when I do it intentionally or unintentionally, here's what God does. He reminds me that I cannot earn His love or His grace. As a child of God, every sin now can be brought before the Father and I can say, because of Jesus Christ, not because of what I can do. I can't make this up to you, God. I can't just try harder. I can't skirt around this. I know there's going to be consequences to this, but because of Jesus, I know that I'm forgiven. Every sin is a reminder that we are made pleasing to God, not by our own achievements, but by the merit of Jesus Christ. God's love for us is that He uses our sin to demonstrate our need. That's what it looks like for Him to discipline us. He shows His sovereign hand of protection to keep us from knowing and unknowing sin and disobedience. I just want you to understand this. If it weren't for God's hand on my life and on your life right now, every second of our day would be eaten up with us sinning. It's only because of His grace, only because of His mercy. Not only are we made right with God, it's the only thing keeping you and I from living in sin every moment of every day. The only thing that keeps you from sinning, the only thing that keeps me from being Hitler today is God's grace. The only thing that keeps me from warring against everyone around me is God's grace. The only thing that keeps me from sin is God's grace. And He is sovereignly protecting us as His children. Leading us in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. You see, what's at stake here is the fear of the Lord in this place. What's at stake here is His name. Abraham walked into Gerar saying, there's no fear of the Lord here. (laughs) He was wrong. And when he walked out, people weren't thinking, there's a man who fears God. They weren't thinking that about Abraham. What were they thinking? They were thinking, God is worthy to be feared. Isn't it good news that God can even use our jacked up witness to his, <laughs> to his good and to accomplish his purposes? But wouldn't it be better to actually be a witness? As, to, as opposed to being a witness to what not to do? Or an example of what not to do. But God is sovereign to protect us. Finally, God disciplines those whom He loves. He will make us like Jesus. A.W. Tozer says, He remembers our frame and knows that we are dust. He may sometimes chasten us, it is true, but even this He does with a smile. The proud, tender smile of a father who is bursting with pleasure over an imperfect but promising son who is coming every day to look more and more like the one whose child he is. Think of yourself in that way. And whenever God reveals sin in your life, 
Know that it is with painful joy that He does it. Because He sent His Son Jesus to actually deal with your sin. So I'll leave you with this. The things in your life that you go, oh, I didn't mean to, but you know it's sin. The things you go, oh, that's just my personality, but you know it's sin. The things that you go, I really can't change, but you know it's sin. Okay? I just want to call it sin. Because Jesus didn't come to save you from your personality. He came to save you from your sins. Don't don't water down sin. There's good news in calling it sin. Because we are the children of God, we have been forgiven of sins. Confess, repent. Ask God to expose our hearts today so that we can know we have one who has paid for all of those sins and made us the children of God. That's love. That's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. To demonstrate to us that we we haven't earned it. But he still gives it. What good news. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we go today, we go out as people with good news. People who want to proclaim to the world through your gracious hand and through the good news of the gospel. The fact that Jesus has come, though we did not deserve it when we were in darkness. The light has come when we were sinners. The sinless one has come. So, Lord, may we look to the sinless one who is making us more and more like himself by your power. May we trust you. Lead us not into fear, but lead us to faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to